Amen. There I'm on. Let's stand up this morning. Well, I'm excited. I haven't been this excited about a service in a long time. No, I'm... I know this is ordained of God, and you've heard me the last month, haven't you? And so you're going to be excited to hear what, what Jeff has to say. And, and uh, But I want to read to you, before we go into worship, let me read from Psalm. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for this opportunity and this privilege to come into Your presence with thanksgiving. And we worship You, King of glory, this day. We welcome You, Holy Spirit, to help us exalt Jesus in this place today. And we declare and decree in advance where the Spirit of the living God is, there's tremendous liberty to worship. And so we thank You, Father, for this day. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen.
We love you, Lord Jesus. With all of our heart, with all of our being, we worship Lord Jesus, our King. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God who shed His blood for you and me. Worthy is the Lamb of God that has opened our eyes to see. We honor you. We welcome you. In your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. We'll greet somebody on the way down. quickly. Tuesday night, 6 o'clock Patriots United. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock our midweek service. Next Sunday, immediately following the service, we're going to have our soup soup luncheon, just a time of food and fellowship. We have a sign up in the back just so we have an idea of what we'll have. You can sign up anytime. If you are bringing a soup and you know what you're bringing, it would help if you put it down just so we don't duplicate too much. So that's in the back. That's next week, right after church. If you aren't bringing soup, you can bring a side and a, or a dessert. And we will provide the tableware and the drinks. So all you have to do is bring yourself and the food. Then the second part of February, we are going to start a six-week in-home Bible study on Wednesday nights. And it's just going to be very foundational, just to get everybody on the same page foundationally. And I put a, we'll have more information on that in the weeks ahead, but there is a sign-up sheet in the back for that also. If you're interested in that, we'd really encourage you to take part of that. So um, right now we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings for Harvest Church. And then at the end of the service, we will receive the offering for Jeff and Child Legacy Ministries. And uh, so, ushers, you may go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And then at the end of the service, when we receive the, the offering for Jeff, just make the check to Harvest Church. We give him one check. We give him all of it. So we'd appreciate that. And then one more thing, if just make sure you have your cell phones off. Thank you. I've been so looking forward to this, and, and uh, Kathy and I were talking 
how, how many years it's been since Apostle Jeff's been here? It's been 20 years at least. And uh, I'll never forget, I mean, when you're, you don't understand the difficulty many times that, that ministry gifts have, especially that are on the road. They need the grace to go from church to church. And uh, I can remember telling Jeff a long time ago that I said, you don't need to get concerned about coming here. We're going to support you. And uh, I'm going to take just a minute, and this won't take long because I think it's, we need to. Um, you've been taught on the fivefold ministry gifts, and you have a true apostle here today. And there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Well, we think of, you know, <laughs> signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. But we fail to understand the tremendous patience that it takes. So I want to read this to you. This is the definitive work on apostles and prophets by Rick Renner. He says, the word patience is a translation of the Greek word hupomone, a powerful word, with many nuances that are important to apostolic ministry. First, the word patience from the Greek word hupomone depicts one's ability to stay, abide, remain in one spot, or keep a position. And it pictures the inner resolve to maintain territory that has been gained. Indeed, those who do true apostolic work in regions that are not for the faint of heart often find that the de devil launches assaults against them to push them out. But true apostles are divinely graced with a supernatural ability to stay put, regardless of the pressures put upon them. Paul says this ability to stay put in the face of hostile attacks is as supernatural as any sign and wonder. In a military sense, the word patience, this Greek word hupomone, was used to picture soldiers who were ordered to maintain their positions even in the face of opposition. Those soldiers were ordered to defiantly stick it out regardless of pressures mounted against them. This word depicts what one Greek scholar calls staying power. Say it with me, staying power. Hang in there, power. The attitude that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, and hangs in there, never giving up, refusing to surrender to obstacles and turning down every opportunity to quit. The word patience pictures one who may be under a heavy load, but this person refuses to bend, break, or surrender because he's convinced that the territory promise the territory, promise, or principle under assault rightfully belongs to him. Genuine apostles are anointed to walk through normally sealed shut doors and function in regions and territories that can be difficult or hostile to the gospel. So 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, where Paul lists the signs of an apostle, in addition to signs wonders, he also lists supernatural endurance from the Greek word hupomone as one of the greatest signs that a person is a bona fide apostle. This means that a real apostle doesn't tuck his tail and run when times get tough. He's under divine orders to stay put and has been graced with staying power, hang in their power, and the attitude that holds out, holds on, outlasts, perseveres, and hangs in there, never giving up and refusing to surrender to obstacles. He's divinely empowered to turn down every opportunity to quit, and even under a heavy load, 
He refuses to bend, break, or surrender because he's convinced that the territory promise, our principle under assault, rightfully belongs to him. Once he's walked through an open door, he's anointed to stay there, even if the open door comes with adversaries. That describes you. And it's an honor to have you here today. So I want to give you all the time you need. Share your heart. Share the vision. And these people will catch it. Amen. Let's welcome. Stand your feet and welcome Apostle Jeff. Well, good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. I was doing the math this morning, Pastor, and um, it's almost been 40 years I've been doing this. I went to Africa in 1983, and um, I've never had an introduction like that. The Scripture tells us that a, a friend loveth at all times. I think you're probably the finest example of that because it simply doesn't matter if you see me every day, every month, every year, what you might hear, weaknesses, mistakes, failures, you still love us. And I love you, man. Thank you. Church, thank you. It is a pleasure to be here even with my son, my youngest son, Caleb, your oldest son, my youngest son. You have an older son, Caleb. And um, it's his first time here. My older son had been here, I think, a couple of times, um, traveled with me a few times. It's, it's, it's difficult to try to, I think, put all these years into a Reader's Digest. Um, I try to think about the many things that have God's grace, His His love, His faithfulness. When I think about all the obstacles over those many years that that we have had to face, um, just to be real honest, if man, if there's not a spirit of a real soldier there, leaving is a lot easier than staying. When COVID hit Africa. Um, almost every organization in Malawi pulled all their national directors out, pulled them home. And there were very few expats that were left uh, in Malawi. Even the ambassador of the American embassy went back to America. And it wasn't that COVID was any gentler here than it was there. Just some reason being on African soil made it worse. And... We chose to stay. Uh, my board confronted me and they said, well, Jeff, we'd like for you to come back. I said, no, I need to be right here where I'm supposed to be. Um, climates change. Environments change. Cultures even twist and change. Traditions change. But what God calls us to doesn't change. And I knew where I was supposed to be. And Well, the story goes on with that, but 
Let's start with the scriptures this morning. If you have your Bible, turn, turn to Luke. You all know this. You probably read it without even turning there. While you're turning, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. I think this message has been taught, preached so many times. But it doesn't make it any less relevant, no matter how well you know it or how well you can quote it. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And the windstorms came down the lake, and they were, they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him, and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Every one of us can relate to almost every little word in these sentences. Then he rose and he rebuked the wind and the raging water, and it seized and it was calm. And I, don't you just love calm? I wish we could buy calm. I wish I could go to Walgreens and just buy a bottle of calm. But he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying one to another, who, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. I found it interesting that he says, where is your faith? I, if, if you look around you, and, and you don't have to look very far, you don't have to turn on the news, you don't have to read a paper, you can just hear it in your local restaurant. Things have changed dramatically in the United States, but they've changed globally. What we see today, you and I didn't see 20 years ago. The economy's changed, the social makeup that we live in, our communities have changed, the way we treat each other changes. Jesus says to get into the boat. And he, the details are a bit gray there. He doesn't really say much more that's going to go on. But he goes to sleep. I guess that should tell us something. But he says to get into the boat. Jesus says to you and me, this is what I would like you to do. I'm sending you out. I'm calling you to this. Who will go? Here am I. And it's always just a little fuzzy what's in between there. Sometimes leaving is easy. Those of you that fly a lot, get into a plane. Many times, leaving the runway is the easy part. It's what's in between sometimes can get a little spooky. And yet when you get into a plane these days, if that plane is going to cross over a body of water, they're going to tell you that underneath of the seat in front of you there are life vests to put on. If the cabin depressurizes, the mask will drop down. If an engine catches on fire, they can extinguish it. Airlines try to make all of the plans that they can, thinking that some things are going to happen. You have to know that when you get into that boat, things are going to happen. There's going to be a storm. We just don't know what that storm's going to be like. And I think to a large degree, some of the best signs of a leadership is how steady he can be in the storm. Because a marriage starts out good. A business starts out good. Sometimes your finances start out good. You get your first credit card, starts off good. It's all those things in between. I was 
reading a paragraph from a book from a young man who had written on um, starting up a business. And he was a young man. He was just early 30s. And a uh, little bit of a biography was on the back of the book. And I was hoping, I wanted to see real quick some of the things that he had gone through that would really let him be a legitimate speaker on how to start up a business. Well, he hadn't been through a lot of storms, and I closed the book, and I thought, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to glean from this. I find myself more and more rubbing shoulders or coming up against people who have been through the storms, who have been in those storms. As a marriage starts, whether you make the right choice or not, that's to be determined. When you start a business and you have a business partner, that's to be determined by how they're going to be when you get into that storm. The fact is, the storm is what exposes everything. That's going to tell us whether or not we will run or we will stay or we're going to be the long-standing person alongside you. 2021, July, end of July, I was diagnosed with COVID, and it was the Delta strain, which was the, the tough one. And I'm sitting in a third-world developing country that has very little health care, let alone even primary health care. And the doctor came out and he said, you're positive for COVID, but you also have pneumonia. I said, well, give me the drugs. So I went home because there's not a real hospital that you're going to admit yourself into in Malawi. And in my heart went into AFib. It went up to 182 beats a minute. And our medical director at our hospital came to me and he said, Jeff, we really need to get you out of Malawi because Malawi doesn't have any cardiac care. There was no place that we could take you or give you medication that is going to assist your heart in going back into rhythm. It, have, it may have to be shocked. So I'm lying in my bed and I'm hooked up to oxygen because my oxygen levels had dropped in the 60s. And I was on two occasions simply just passed out on my floor because I couldn't breathe. And our medical director came back in again. He says, Jeff, we've contacted the flying doctors in Nairobi, and we've explained to them the situation. They're going to come down and get you. I said, no, I don't want to go. I want to, I want to stay right here. It was, this, this was an area I was not familiar with. This was, I was going into a storm that I had lost control of. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even take anything. Uh, I had lost over 60% of my lungs, and my lungs were shutting down completely. So finally, I'm lying there, and I'm actually going in and out. And my oldest son had, and my youngest son had been contacted in America and said, please convince your dad to go. So they did, <clears throat> and they loaded me up in an ambulance that I had bought for our hospital that carries maternity patients. And I thought, I'm not supposed to be in this, this ambulance. I didn't buy this for me. And as I'm going to the airport where they're going to fly me out, I'm looking out the window at 
the, the project uh, that we have been developing over the years, and I, I kept saying to God, I'm, I'm not ready. You know, sure, to, to be with Him is a whole lot better than to be here on earth, granted that. But I wasn't ready yet. And I'm, I'm talking to God and laying in the back of the ambulance. And we get to the airport, and the plane is, it's called the Flying Doctors, and it's, it's made up like, a, like an outpatient clinic in there. And because I'm contagious, they want to put me in this plastic tube, and I'm, I'm wired to many things. And I didn't want to go in that plastic tube. It was too small, and, and I don't like confined places. So I said, no, I don't want to go in it. And they said, but you have to. You're contagious. You have to go in it. And I said, no, I don't want to go in it. So we're arguing. I'm, I'm lying on a stretcher on the tarmac in between an ambulance and an airplane, arguing with the staff that I didn't want to go in this plastic tube. And the pilot finally came out. He said, Mr. Rogers, I... I can't leave until you do. And the nurses said, well, we'll sedate him. So they started to sedate me and kind of get me goofy. And they slid me into this plastic tube. And one of the nurses said, um, and I heard her say it, she said, this, this guy won't even make it to Malawi, or to Nairobi. So, you know, we'll just keep him sedated. Well, I heard the words that I'm not going to make it. I knew the shape I was in. Um, couldn't breathe. My heart was beating out of my chest. So I laid in this plastic tube and plane took off. And I took my phone and I started to type my goodbyes to my family. And I was started off by saying, boy, I didn't see this one coming. Well, how many times have you gotten in a boat and you can say, I just didn't see this storm coming? Just, this took me by surprise. That life preserver under the seat in front of me, doesn't, that's not helping. That mass dropping down out of the council, that's not helping. I needed help from someplace I've never really had to pull from. But I'm writing goodbye to my family. And then they'd sedate and I'd go out. I'd wake up and find my phone laying on my chest, and I'd pick it up. I'd, and for the next two and a half hours, I typed very long goodbye to, to my family. And then I felt the wheels touch down on the tarmac. And I thought, I made it. I've made it to Nairobi. And going through my head, which goes through a lot of our heads, because when we find ourselves in a situation that's challenging or threatening or creates fear in us, we start to relate it to the things we know. So when something happens, sometimes Hollywood dictates the outcome to us. Oh, I saw a movie on this once. Gosh, this isn't going to be good. The IRS came in and shut down his account, seized his assets, took everything. Oh, that's going to happen to me. So you start to paint the picture already of how it's going to be. And yet, when Jesus calmed the storm, there, there has to be a steadiness in us that says, we can do this. We can turn and face this. Fear isn't supposed to grip us. Now, many of you can say, oh yeah, but you, you, you don't realize 
And you're right. I have no idea what any of you have been through individually. But I know what we've gone through as a culture and as a society has been devastating. And I remember thinking when they were loading me in another ambulance and taking me to a hospital in my head, I started to relate to all of the third world hospitals that I've gone into, not to stay, but to visit. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. They're dirty, they're unclean, you've got people laying all over the floors. This, this is Africa. We don't pride ourselves in building high standard things. We just do enough to get by. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go in this hospital and probably catch a few other things I didn't want. So I'm filling my head with this stuff, and I'm thinking, there's got to be someplace else I can go. I, I, this isn't good. And I'm, I'm, the, 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 the storm is raging in my head. And I finally get to the hospital. It's the University Hospital in Nairobi. Turned out it's a very nice facility. And they wheeled me into outpatient, and there was the chief of intensive care who actually stayed back because he saw the, the message that I was en route. And he was reading the diagnosis there, and he said, well, he was going to go home. He says, let me just stay and be here when this guy arrives. They wheeled me in there. And he took off his white coat before he came in the room, and he wouldn't let any of the staff come in with their coat on. Their stethoscopes were rolled up in their pockets. And he came in. I just thought he was nobody. I didn't know who he was. And he started talking to me, and I said, well, do you work here? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm chief of intensive care. He said, that's where you're going to be going. And he said, this is the first thing we have to work on. And he pointed to the monitor where my, my heart needed to be put back in rhythm. And I looked at him, and I said, Am I going to make it? Now, I don't know this guy from Adam, but it was the first words I had heard that encouraged me. He said, you're, you're in a fight for your life, but you're on my watch now. So I said, okay. And they did a bunch of MRIs and some things, and they will. And for the next 20 days, I stayed in intensive care in a hospital in Nairobi, Kenya, didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me. They put me in an isolation room. Nobody could come in unless they put on all of the, the, the mat gowns and everything. So they just didn't come in for social calls. They would only come in if they had to. And I, if I were to go back to that ward now, even now as I talk, I don't think I would even find some of those nurses because they had to be angels that were just sent there for me. Just the, what they became to me. When they would come in and say, you don't know anybody, you've got no family coming, we're going to be your family, we, we don't want you to become too lonely in here. And, and it's, it's a lonely place to be in an isolation room for over 20 days. As this storm raged, and I found myself meditating so much on God's Word and playing His Scriptures on my... because my, my chest was in... My, my lungs were not healing. It was three or four days before my heart finally went back into rhythm. And if I heard God say anything, He said, Jeff, who, who said you were going to die? And again, my mind, I'm relating, I'm thinking. I heard the nurses say medical director say, everything I heard was just, 
more winds beating up against the boat. And I would say, well, they said, they said, they said. It was like, who said? I mean, well, they said, they said. Who said? They, he said, they're saying that I'm not saying it. And I gripped a hold. Twenty days go by, and they put me into a ward. I'm still on oxygen. And I, I, I never thought I would almost have to learn to walk again. Because every step I took, I didn't have the, the oxygen, the breath to, to walk. And I was holding on to a rail, and I thought, you know, dear God, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but old enough to know how to walk. And it took me days to get what I needed to be able to walk from even here to this front row, to take a shower. And it was like things started over. But I'll never forget when I got on the plane to go back to Malawi almost a month later. And I got back. And I was at the project. And it was like in the song, it was a new beginning. There's a steadiness that God says that is in us. There has to be something different about us. Or what good are we in this world? If the church is the boat and the water is the world, what do we have to offer the world when the winds blow if the church is constantly trying to get out of the water? It does no good to try to turn tuck tail and run or to leave. Or what good are we if we're going to bring a change in society or in the world that we live today? And if there has ever been a need for people to be steadfast, it's now. And it's not just for those of us who maybe have been around longer and we're supposed to have a, a, a bigger Rolodex of scriptures and everything that we can quote and say. No, it's about those who say to God, here am I. Use me. What's different about me? Absolutely nothing except that I can say to you there was a time when I stopped in my tracks and said, here am I. Use me. And the minute you say that, God never comes right out and says, okay, Jeff, well, on this day, you'll have to face this storm, and this day, this storm, this day, this storm. This storm. It's all gray and fuzzy on them. God just doesn't give a lot of details. But he says to, to the disciples, he said, well, where's your faith? And I'm, and I'm thinking, you've got to cut them a bit of slack. They got in the boat, the storm raised, and they're thinking, man, if this storm is going to sink the boat that God's son's in, what hope have we got? And Jesus is saying, hold on. Why would you be full of fear if I'm in the boat with you? Why would fear grip? Why would that unsteadiness, why is there no calm in your heart if I'm in the boat with you? And he says, to, it's like he's saying to Peter, be calm. And if what the Scripture says that the Christ in us, in the hope of glory, then, and I face the storm, then why should I be in fear if He's in me? I, almost every year, almost every year, I'm trying to reflect quickly if there's been a year I didn't, but almost every year, I try to do something at our project that I know it's absolutely impossible for me to do. I know I can't do it. Now, it's just me. Don't, don't anybody go out here and start doing that tomorrow, unless God tells you, and that's where your faith is. 
But every year, I go to God and I say, what, what is it that we're going to do? And things will start to come to light. I'll start to say, well, this needs to be done, this needs to be done, whatever it is. And there's inevitably, it's a, I can't do it. I don't have the money. I don't have the knowledge, the engineering skills. I do not have what it takes to do it. But I'll go do it. And inevitably, people will come and visit the project. They'll come out there, and they'll look at the roads. They'll look at the structure. They'll look at the things that we've done. Nine times they say, what's your, what's your degree in engineering? <laughs> New Testament studies. Well, who funded this? Well, my faith in God did. And every year, I'll shut out that year, and I'll look back, and I'll go, how did we do this? Because I couldn't do it. And, I, and culture, countries, crossing the border to go do something else, leaving America to go to Africa. And I have been over there a very long time. I've been a faithful, card-carrying member of American Airlines for far too long. Over three and a half million miles with that airline. That's how many times I've crisscrossed that Atlantic Ocean. I can tell you where the best place to sit, the good seats, when to book a ticket, what to say to somebody, what not to say to somebody if you expect to get a meal that's not been sat on. You just learn. And it's the same thing when you're facing the storms. You just look. Now, you can listen to all the podcasts. You can listen to all things on YouTube. You can listen to all that, but you're not really listening until it's happened to you. And then, then you listen. Then you start to talk. And I love sitting in a room and sitting with people who have been in the storm. I love to be around people who've been in storms. Well, Pastor Mike, how did you guys navigate that? And, and the thing about storms is that you're not going to fix them. So when that storm comes up in your life, you can't fix that storm. You can't get out your toolbox. Guys, you're not going to fix it. And thinking, well, I don't even need the instruction book. I can just do this. Our job is to be steady and navigate. A ship sitting at dock is just a beautiful piece of steel to look at. But the man that has navigated storm after storm after storm is the captain. And that is a man that one can yield to. And as you go through life and you start to navigate and navigate and become steady in and more steady in in the storms, then you become that voice that people listen to. You may think, well, I would never have anything to say to a young married couple that are going through a tough time. What about all the storms you've had to go through? Well, my business has been successful, but we've had some failures, even had a bankruptcy. There's people that need to know about those storms that you went through because it's that faithfulness and that steadiness that helps us to become steady. Hollywood is not, was not designed to write the book on your success. Hollywood is just simple entertainment. So when you're watching a series and everybody's getting arrested and all of a sudden you have a bad blow, it's probably not going to turn out the same way it did on Hollywood. Our thoughts have to be on Him. There has to be that constant steadiness. 
And sometimes when you're navigating through these storms, you're just going to have to sit and navigate and be steady through it and get to the other side. And the thing is, if Jesus does say, get in and we go to the other side, He has already predestined it before it even happened. So He knew the outcome. That's why He could just simply lay down and go to sleep. Because He knew the outcome. You didn't know it. He didn't tell you. He didn't say, guys, let's get in the boat, but there'll be a storm, we'll hit a rock, we will fill with water. You'll have to swim. There's no snorkels to hand out, but you'll tread water. There's, there's nothing said. It just comes. Now, how many times have you gotten a text message, a phone call, an email that changed your life? Somebody knocked at the door and it changed your life. On May 27th last year, my sister called me up in Malawi, and she doesn't call me a lot, but usually it was to tell me about my mother. But she called me up. I saw her name come up in my phone. It was like two, 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, my time, very, very early morning, her time. And she was just crying on the phone. I just thought, well, my, my mom had died. And then when she finally got her breath, she said that her husband is dead. Now, his name was Jim, and he was not an old man. He just, just turned like 70, had a good checkup. Everything was good. It just didn't make sense. But he went to bed and didn't wake up, and I was the first person that she called. And she said, Jim's dead, Jim's dead, Jim's dead. And I didn't, I didn't know what to say. And that was May 27th. Then in the 1st of August, my sister called me again and she said, Mom's died. Then in 1st of September, I got a phone call and a staff member that had been with me for nine years died. In the 1st of October, middle of October, I got a phone call. One of my best friends that had mentored me in ministry died. And I remember thinking, God, enough, please, let me just get my breath. I couldn't fix them, but I had to be steady. And I don't know how long it was going to take. My, my dad had died a couple of years prior to that, but there was something about mom dying that just was different. It hurt. And I love my dad. It hurt too. Jim was like a brother to me. And I just, I'd never see him again. This lady that worked for me was like a daughter to me. I'll never see her again. And I couldn't fix that. And I wanted to fix it. And there's just times when you're going to be in that boat, in that storm, and you're just going to have to ride it out. Knowing that you're going to get to the other side. Knowing that he already knew this isn't taking him by surprise. He is going to get you to the other side. A few years ago, we, we have two operating rooms that work in our hospital. And we do primarily obstetrics, maternity care, child care. And we, we do 40, 50 C-sections a month in one of our operating rooms. Um, 
I think since we started doing op, uh, C-sections, two, 2017, we opened up, we've done about 1,000, 500,000, 600 C-sections, just C-sections. That's not DNC, turbulizations, any other kind of obstetrics. And so the community where women were giving birth to babies in the villages were really benefiting from the services that we were offering in our hospital. And the cost had gone up, the cost of consumables, the cost of drugs had gone up. I couldn't afford to buy them anymore. And I had to close the hospital down. I had to close the operating room down. We were still doing vaginal deliveries, but we could do no more C-sections. So that meant every single woman that was going to have to have a C-section, I would have to refer them to another hospital that was not as good as ours. And I'm not patting myself on the back. That's just a fact. And this was a storm I didn't want to be in because I got tired of having to say to a woman, I can't, I can't take care of this. I have to refer you. And they would not want to leave. They would cry. They would say, please, no, we want to, we want to deliver here. Well, our operating room is not open. I, I can't do it. I can do it. I just didn't have the resources to do it. And every single time that ambulance would leave our hospital with the lights on, taking a woman to a, a referral, I would go, man... I, this, isn't, this isn't why I built this thing. And I can guarantee you when I built this and we had the funding to run it, it started off great. But then we hit a lot of turbulence. And all this that happened in the middle, I, wasn't, I, I hadn't planned for. And I didn't want this and I'm trying to fix it. Matter of fact, I can tell you that one of the ways I was trying to fix it was I was trying to sell things to get the money to run the operating room and that wasn't fixing the problem. That was me trying to fix the storm and it wasn't, it wasn't fixing the storm. What I needed to do was to steady down, calm down, navigate through this and God was going to fix, not get me to the other side. And we went a year, maybe a little bit over a year, and I, I actually had an organization reach out to me that heard about what we were going through and said, what is the funding that you need to open up the operating room? I said, well, it cost me $10,000 a month to keep the doors open just on the operating room. That's not the hospital, that's just the operating room. And they wrote me a check for $120,000. And the operating rooms opened back up. And everything I did in between was me trying to just say, I can, do, I can fix this, I'll fix this. I know what I can do. I can sell this, I can do this, I can do, I can fix. I wished I had these things back I'd sold. I really do. I wished I could say, can I get that back? God says, no, that was you trying to get in the way. <laughs> That's your choice. It doesn't make any difference who we are, black, white, male, female, religion. doesn't make any difference who or what we are. We will have storms. And I can guarantee you that if we get into the midst of what God has called us to and talking to us, there's going to be storms. Matter of fact, <laughs> hire somebody and the resume looks great and everything looks great when it starts out, and all of a sudden there's a storm, and you're thinking, Who, who's this person I hired? Why, why are they, what, what is this attitude? What is this, all this change? It's the storm that just reveals everything. It reveals who you are, who I am. 
what their role will be, what their role will not be. Before I left Malawi to come back here, the president of Malawi sent two of his cabinet members out, Minister of Lands, the Speaker of the Parliament, and the Minister of Transportation, I think it was. And there was a letter from the president. And when the, letter, when the president writes a letter, it's on blue paper, a light blue paper, and it's the, the official seal of the president of Malawi. And he said he had heard I was going off to the United States and it was for the holidays and I come back and I raise money and I do the things I need to do to go back to Malawi. Been doing that for all these years, Mike. And in his letter was, he was encouraging me, come back. Now, I don't know what made him think I wasn't going to come back except NGOs, non Profit organizations, non-government organizations are notorious for having relatively a good start, and then it just gets really, really tough, and then they leave. And Africa's full, full of these little white elephants everywhere, where people come in, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. Well, we've never done that. And the letter was to encourage the donors and encourage the people that have helped fund what we're doing because it has made a difference. When you deliver 10,000 babies successfully in a rural hospital, primarily by clinicians, you've made a difference in 10,000 mothers. When you've wheeled them into the operating room and you've done over 1,500 C-sections, you've made a difference in over 1,500 mothers. And when you commit to every single birth, every delivery at that hospital, and you commit to that baby for the first five years to make sure that they're immunized, you check their nutrition, you're checking the mother that she's lactating. And you, for the first five years, you have to know that on the first Tuesday of every month, that hospital is busy with a lot of mothers and a lot of screaming babies. And we've had triplets, twins, and of course, thousands of single babies being delivered there. And out of all those babies that have been born at this hospital, I don't know, but not only could I be looking at a president, a leader, an evangelist, a preacher, God knows my job is to make sure that I establish a foundation and that I make sure that this boat that is in these storms gets to the other side and to navigate with God. I'm not going to try to fix what God is doing. That's His business. My job is to be steadfast in the faithfulness that He has in me and I have in Him. There's been three attempts on my life by the devil. I've died of rheumatic fever twice. I was buried in an explosion in concrete, nearly crushed to death, and in the Delta virus. It's got to be that what we're doing is really making somebody mad. Because I'm still here. And don't get me wrong, I fudge it up in these storms sometimes. 
I'll sit down in my own understanding thinking I can do this. But God's real quick to show me how did it work the last time, Jeff. And when you get up and leave here, and I'm not prophesying this, I'm not saying this is going to happen, I don't know that you won't get a text or an email or a knock on the door or a phone call, and all of a sudden it changes your life. What I'm telling you is that there is a boat. It won't sink. There's no life preservers under the seat. There's no mask that's going to drop from the sky with depressuration. And the master of that boat might be resting, just sleeping. And I'm telling you that there's a faith and a steadiness that you can have that no matter... I mean, that water can be right at your nose. And he says, we'll still go to the other side. We'll still go to the other side. And you'll make it. Two years ago, reason, main reason... One of the reasons that my son is here. Two years ago, we started a for-profit company. And I'm going to share this and then I'll, I'll, I'll be done, Pastor. Six years ago, actually longer than that, but six years ago I think I started doing something about it. I realized that Child Legacy was 100% aid-dependent. We... I had to raise the money every single year to run a hospital that catered to over 100,000 people, a school that has over 80 primary kids in it, um, staff of 200 people that we feed every single day, um, skills programs, an orphanage with 80 orphans, a vocational school in Zimbabwe. It, it just took, takes a lot of money. You can see the picture there, and I have to raise that money. And I've I'm getting older. I know I don't look, at, don't look any older at all. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, you still look the same. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was you. <laughs> Fact is, is that I needed to come up with a plan that would make everything that we've put in place sustainable. And so I started to put programs in place that would create a commodity that I could put on the shelf, generate income that would offset all of my operation cost. So if I wanted to build something and develop something, I'll go raise the money for that. But I don't want to raise money to pay salaries, buy drugs, buy consumables. I want that to be taken care of. So we started a company called Moyo two years ago. And I started doing it just by planting a few macadamia trees. I don't know if you know it, but macadamias are in big demand. One of the healthiest nuts on the shelf and one of the priciest nuts on the shelf. And coffee. And I started doing coffee because I just wanted a hobby. I wanted something that I could do. And so I planted some coffee. And my son will tell you that whenever dad starts a hobby, it demands employees. So one of my donors said to me, Jeff, if you're going to do this, Here's how you need to do it. We set up what we call a private benefit corporation. It benefits the hospital. And we're about two, three years out from seeing the real money coming in from it. But from my planting maybe 3,000 
trees in the beginning thinking I was onto something, didn't really know what I was doing, but I had what I thought was a good idea. Caleb now runs the Moyo side, and we now have roughly 22, 23,000 macadamia trees in the ground with over 10,000 coffee plants. And I've given some, some of our coffee to your pastor where we're growing, and uh, uh, we don't roast it, but who knows where we'll get to with that. But the idea is, is that Child Legacy would become sort of a sustainable model in its operations. I don't mind coming here, love coming here. Well, it's been a long time. I do love coming here, even though it's been a long time. It's nothing about you and your you're, you're great people. I love you. Even though it's been 20 years since I've been here. But I want to come up here and say this is what God has been doing. If you want to get behind building something, developing something, praise God, thank you for that. But I don't want anybody to ever feel like, gosh, if we don't help this guy, our baby's going to die. And I've had donors come up and tell me, the reason, one of the reasons I don't want to help you, Jeff, is because if for some reason I have to stop helping you, does that mean the babies will die? You won't be able to deliver them. There's a lot of things I want to say to that comment, but I don't. God will be my source, and He always will be. But I believe He causes us to become creative. And I believe that God has given us this mind to use. And I have the mind of Christ. And if I can create a sustainable model that, that says we're able to do this, this, and this, and we don't have to go and get all that, that operation money or Band-Aid money, then what I'm doing is, is I'm creating the sustainability in a third world country, in an unstable economy, in an unstable global economy, where our lights stay on, where other places the lights keep going off. And literally, our lights stay on. They do not go off. So in about three, two, three years, our operations will be 80-85% sustainable. And I believe that this is a God idea because I've been in this boat and I've been through continual storm after storm after storm with the finances. It's like riding that wave up and down and up and down. And God said, Here's one of the things that we can do. People love nuts, grow nuts. People will never stop drinking coffee, Jeff. Grow coffee. So we do. And our honey, the bees that pollinate what we do, is some of the best there is. And I'll be honest. Have you had some coffee yet? Well, you have got to grind it. Our coffee, grated almost the, not the highest, but right up at the highest grade when we sent our green beans and roasted and it got great and it graded high. Our macadamia nuts are grading as high as any of the long experienced growers because I know that in this boat is Jesus and we're going to the other side. And will I keep delivering babies? I won't stop. Immunizing? I won't stop. Educating? 
Yeah. And every time they bring a, an infant to us and drop it off at our door because the mother has passed on, we'll keep taking care of that baby. Will we keep training people? We won't stop. The people call our project a place of light. They said, from that place of light, there is life. They called it that. I didn't. So will we continue to be the light of life? Yes, we will. Because I know that that's Christ. And when that storm is sinking this boat, and it feels like it's going under, I'm constantly reminded who's in that boat with me. And it's Jesus. So when David went up against Goliath and said, I remember the bear, I remember the lion, I remember all these things God took me through. Remember, you will have storms. But God will use that. The opportunity that you will have to learn when you go through that storm is invaluable. Because what you learn in that storm will not only help you for the next one, but it's going to help somebody else who's facing the same thing you did. You're going to have them. And the only way you're going to get out of it is the day you die and go be with Him. That's it. Otherwise, you're going to have them. And I could stand up here and list storm after storm after storm, but I'm still here. And I, th I think there's, there's a short video that you will see. And that video and what you see didn't come about overnight. And it didn't happen because everything lined up and just went our way. It is what it is. And it holds the place that it holds. It has changed at least three of the different protocols that the Ministry of Health has put in place for District Rural Health Services. And it has also brought to light the model that my son is setting up with the company. And this is God's project. Why should it not be the best? Amen. And if it can't be the best, then we're not being the example that God called us to be. And I can be my worst enemy because everything I do has to be of the highest standard. Everything. If I bring equipment into that hospital, it has to work. Don't donate something to me that doesn't work and you want a small tax write-off or you want to clean your garage out because it won't go to Malawi. When I put an ultrasound on the stomach of a mother, it has to give me an image on the screen. And I can take you to multiple hospitals throughout Africa where the closets are full of equipment that don't work. I don't have that. It costs me more. I have to take time to raise more, but I provide a service that makes a difference in people's lives. And they call it a place of light because they know that's where Christ dwells. Pastor Mike, church, thank you for allowing me to come back here after all these years. Bless you guys.
Zinelozi medi, ndikutokoza chifweje mwai wa shiro mene nabasiwa. Chifweje padaka lipano, ndikukwanisa, kulibili la mwana sikuru, kutendisi kilaba komo, na mangisilako so nyumba, ziwili, zikomo. Jina langa njinelisa kawaza, jima kweche ushayo lekasi, jima mpilaba mpiku bompano, jikutokoza kwa jima ngeche chimbia latu, jifamiwe antambi ya kumutiba, jima antambi ya jiwa yesu, ziwa mwambi. My name is Benson Manglenje, the heritage of Chayo Legacy School. Your giving helps stand in the gap for children to have a better future by attending school. Tukutokoza kwa mbili shadulegasi, chifori ya ditandiza. Chifori panovai ni ndinetela la, ni masoka, nipo ni masamalila banja langa. Palibe jume jima soa kwa kumubanga. Tukutokoza kwa mbili shadulegasi, abikutule mpitilize zimene zizi mjitaswa antwene. Zigo umambuya kudali seni. This is Pastor Johan Ben Chikwatu, Chief Anesthetist of Child Legacy Hospital. You know, many, many mothers in Malawi, and even children, newborn babies, die due to lack of uh, good medical care. Charlotte Chikwadu, working at Child Legacy International Hospital. Lives are being changed here. Because you stand in the gap for us. Zigo Mogwambiri, Ambuya Gudarisen. Thank you so much. May God bless you. Amen. Um, you all know what I challenged you with. Raise your hands if you remember what I challenged you with. How much was that amount? On the way back, I asked Jeff, what are you planning to do? Well, he's planning to fill a container. I said, how much money do you need? He said, $20,000. Are we going to do it? Yes. We're going to do it. 
I'm so excited. And the, the reason that it blesses me so is because God looked at this church and knew that he could count on us. Are we a big mega church? No. Who wants a big mega church? I'd rather have a small church with people that are effective. So we're going to do this today. And all I can say is you've touched our hearts through the years and we'll continue to do what we can. You've got to keep us in the loop and you're good at communicating that. Is there anything you want to share? Father, in the name of the Most High God, El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Lord, I put this out over a month ago, and I know that you've dealt with our hearts. I thank you, Lord, we shall be willing and we shall be obedient to do what you've called us to do. And so we put our trust in you, Lord. Thank you for using us, Lord God, to bless Apostle Jeff and Child Legacy. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Ushers, if you'd kindly wait upon the people, if you need an envelope, please fill it out. I'll be honest with you, personally, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. I've told you, I've sown, personally, I'm sowing the biggest seed I've ever sown. In, and that's me, not the wife, not, that's me. I told you, I'll never ask you to do something without me leading the way. Amen. That was a good word about storms. Amen. We're going to the other side. Jeff, but he didn't share, and he's such a humble man, man of God, but they were in had to take a trip to Utah, and I guess to drive it was 19 hours Well, they flew, and it ended up being total time of 24 hours to, with all the delays. One pilot wasn't fit, to, so they had to get a new pilot. And I told him, you know, you're going to have things like that, but then you're going to come to a place like this, and you'll see that there is a God, and he's faithful. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Come here, you two. Let's let's pray for these this family. Amen. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for this ministry and all that it's accomplished through the years. Though their beginning was small, their latter end will increase abundantly. And so, Father, I, I, I'm asking you, Lord, in the days ahead, in, in many areas, to, to make it easier in some respects in raising the money, that you'll bring the donors, you'll bring in, Lord, those that will support him more than ever before. And they'll give generously, Lord God. And so, Father, I thank you for blessing each family member, blessing each staff member, 
And Lord, I thank you for increasing the anointing in 2024 upon all that they set their hands to. And Lord, we speak grace to the mountain. And we thank you, Father, this day in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. One thing before we go, as you remain standing, um, Steve's mom is about ready to go home to heaven. And I want to pray for them. And, and uh, bless his heart, Bobby's sick in, in bed. I'll get that. Just stay back there. And I want to speak the healing word over him in the name of Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who's the comforter and the strengthener to bring strength, peace, and comfort to the Jesson family, Lord. That Carol's transition, Lord, will be easy. She'll just go home to be with you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I bind infirmity over Bobby and I speak resurrection, life, healing, and health and a supernatural recovery. And Father, lastly, I pray everyone here, Lord God, that we'll not feel sorry for ourselves in this new year. We'll not complain because we have it so difficult. Remember this day, Harvest Church, and what you've heard. To press in. You'll get through the storm. Get your eyes off yourself and your own individual storms and help someone else get through their storm. In the name of Jesus. And as Lord, as they have sown... Seed, it shall be returned to them, pressed down, shaken together and running over, that we'll be able to give generously in the days ahead in this new year. In Jesus' name, and all God's people shouted, Amen, Amen, Amen. amen. Well, thank you. That was a good Amen. Who said, little one said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Was that a Miller? There's, there's a table back there with literature, and it's free. Take it home and, and, and look at it, and uh, then we'll keep you abreast of what's going on in Child Legacy. Amen? God bless you, everybody. Thank you.